Acts chapter 21, we'd like to finish this chapter tonight, and I, I think it is a doable uh, goal. Paul is in Jerusalem after a long journey uh, from the churches on his third missionary journey. As you know, along the way, the Holy Spirit kept warning him that when he got to Jerusalem, bonds and afflictions were awaiting for him. It is, it is not the sense we have that the Holy Spirit is saying, don't go. It is the sense we have that the Holy Spirit was preparing him that this is going to be rough and you, you need to be ready for this. Paul himself said, I'm bound in the Spirit to go. Uh, he said uh, in, in that famous verse in Acts chapter 20, neither count I my life dear unto myself. Uh, and he said, none of these things move me. I want to finish the course that the Savior uh, set me on. So Paul comes to Jerusalem. He reports to the, the Christian church there, the one that started uh, on the day of Pentecost. Who is the pastor of that church now? James, uh, James is the half-brother of the Lord Jesus. The apostle James uh, was martyred in Acts chapter 12. Uh, and James and, and Paul had a conversation. There was a controversy. There were rumors that swirled around that, uh, that Paul was telling uh, Jewish people who got saved uh, that they could now go out and live like Gentiles uh, and basically, you know, throw the Bible away. That doesn't matter anymore. And of course, that was never what Paul taught. Uh, but, uh, you know, rumors can get, can get out there. And the enemies of Christ have always been very, very busy. So James said to Paul, he said, let's settle. Let's, let's set every mind, everybody's mind at ease. And he said, we have four men that have taken on them a vow. Uh, we're presuming from what we can tell that it was a Nazarite vow. We've talked about that in our adult Sunday school class. We talked about it a, a quite a bit last week, so I won't review much there. James suggested, Paul, why don't you join yourself with those four men? Um, and, and it'll be understood by everybody that, that you still consider yourself that you are nationally a Jewish person, that you're not against uh, the, the Old Testament scriptures and, and so forth. And Paul agreed to that. Now, Paul wasn't trying to confuse anybody in their minds here. Paul believed that salvation was by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Paul clearly taught that, that no one, Jew or Gentile, is saved by the keeping of the law because nobody has ever kept the law except for the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul was not uh, trying to muddy the water, saying, look, I'm a Jew trying to earn my way to heaven. He's just saying that I am a believer in the one true God. I am a Christian. Jesus is the promised Messiah. I've trusted him as my savior, but I still believe that we ought to obey the scriptures in, in the practical areas of life. Should have been a good plan. Paul did that and seven days went by, verse 27 of Acts 21. And when the seven days were almost ended, the Jews which were of Asia, that's where Paul just left. He had spent some three years there uh, in the city of Ephesus, one of the major cities in Asia. And from that city, the gospel went into that whole region. The Bible says that all of those that lived in Asia had heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. Um, there were some Jews that came from that region when they saw him in the temple 
stirred up all the people and laid hands on him, crying out, men of Israel, help. This is the man that teacheth all men everywhere against the people and the law and this place. And further brought Greeks also into the temple and hath polluted this holy place. Now, if you remember, as we talked about Paul and we, end, we concluded his ministry in Ephesus, Paul had a very difficult time there. He had a fruitful ministry, maybe one of the most fruitful ministries of his entire life up to that point. Uh, again, the gospel went to everybody in Asia uh, without the internet, without gospel tracts or printed page, uh, without even the New Testament being written yet. The word of the Lord Jesus spread everywhere, but there was a lot of persecution there. In 1 Corinthians 15, if you remember, Paul described this time there. He said, I have fought with beasts at Ephesus. Now, we know that Christians weren't being thrown to the lions yet. That was a few years, not many, but a few years in the future. Paul wasn't talking about literally fighting with bears, lions, or anything like that. He was describing the fierceness of the opposition that he faced. When Paul was in the temple with these other four men, there were some Jewish people who were from that region that probably encountered him. They knew him by sight. Um, so they'd, they'd heard him preach undoubtedly, um, and these are unconverted people. They did not trust Christ as Savior, and uh, so they are opposed to the message of the gospel, and they're opposed to Paul. These may be some of those that Paul referred to as the beasts that he fought with when he was in Ephesus. Now, I, I want you to notice that, first of all, uh, these individuals had some convenient lies, I have a little outline, and they all begin with the letter C. It helps me think through a passage of Scripture. They had some very convenient lies. They saw him. We already know they didn't like him. They didn't like his message. And the Bible says when they saw him, they stirred up all the people. Um, the temple was a busy place. The courtyards around the temple were large enough to hold thousands upon thousands of people. When they went to the temple in Jerusalem, it wasn't like going to church where we have uh, uh, chairs or pews or things like that. It was they stood uh, or sometimes they might kneel in prayer, that type of thing. But they didn't have chairs so they could cram lots and lots of people into a, a place uh, at various times of the day, this temple would be very crowded. The Bible didn't say what time of day this was. But we learned in Acts chapters 3, 4, and 5 um, that when, when Peter and John healed the lame man at the hour of prayer, um, there were thousands there because 5,000 men got saved. They believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not sure what kind of a crowd was here but we're, we're going to assume from the context that it was, it was a, a pretty huge crowd of people. And these Jews saw Paul um, and they immediately went into action. The Bible says they stirred up all the people and laid hands on him. They rushed out and they grabbed a hold of the apostle Paul. Uh, there's, there's no evidence that any other members of the New Testament church were there. We don't know what happened to those other four men uh, that were there taking vows. But notice in verse 28, 
some of the lies that they had to say, crying out, men of Israel, help. This is the man. Remember, James said, everybody's heard about you. There's a lot of rumors going around about what you're teaching. This is the man that teacheth all men everywhere. What are the next three words, church? Against the people. What are they accusing Paul of being? Anti-Semitic. He is against the Jews. He is teaching everybody everywhere against the Jews. Now, anti-Semitism is nothing new. Uh, it goes back, uh, we, we read about it in the book of Exodus chapter 1 with Pharaoh trying to murder uh, the Jewish babies. Uh, we read about it in the book of Esther with King Haman trying to ex exterminate all of the Jews in the world on a given day. Uh, it is not a new thing. I heard a report this morning that since October 7th, when Hamas uh, invaded uh, Israel and, and slaughtered 1,400 people in the United States of America, there have been 312 accounts of anti-Semitic attacks in America, not around the world, in America. Um, the Jewish people were very sensitive to this, this part of their, their heritage, especially the 20th century was a terrible, terrible time, and now they're seeing it all uh, again. October 7th uh, was the worst attack against Jewish people, the greatest slaughter since the Holocaust of World War II. And by the way, it was on the same level of brutality. You understand that these Jews are saying, this is the man, he is preaching against the Jews. He's anti-Semitic. And not only that, he's preaching against the law, the Bible. He is, he is unbiblical. He preaches against it. And he said, and they said, and this place that he was against the temple. The temple to the Jewish people of that day, that was, that was holy ground. Uh, that was the house of, of the living God, and they, they held it near and dear. And well, they should have. God said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. And, and, and God had established that first in Solomon's day and so forth. Um, so they, their first lie was this guy is, is anti-Semitic. He's anti-Jewish. He's against our Bible. He's against our temple. He's against our people. And the second lie that they told, and further brought Greeks also into the holy temple and hath polluted this holy place. Um, do your Bibles have maps at all in the back of them? How many they, they do? Um, because I, I don't um, know what kind of Bible you have. Mine has um, uh, one page that's Jerusalem and the temple in New Testament times. Does yours have anything like that? If I was... If I was better prepared, I'd have had a slide for you, uh, but, but uh, I'm not. Um, the temple, though on the map looks very small, uh, occupied a great vast area. Temple Mount in Jerusalem today uh, has two Muslim holy sites on their very large structures, the Dome of the Rock being one of them. That whole area was the temple. The temple itself, where the, the sacrifices uh, were made, the holy place and the holy of holies and so forth, uh, that in itself would be about the size of our auditorium here, not a lot bigger than that. But the, the buildings and the grounds and the walls surrounding that took in, in a vast, vast area. 
as you entered the temple from the north side, you entered a large, air, large open area. The, the, the uh, ground was paved with flagstones uh, and so forth. And that was called the court of the Gentiles. And that's where you and I could have gone uh, into the court of the Gentiles. There was another court that was also referred to as the court of the women. Jewish men and women generally worship separate one from the other. But the court of the Gentiles is where we could go. And between the court of the Gentiles and the rest of the temple, there was a barricade that was erected. And along that barricade was a large sign. It was uh, written in both uh, Greek and Latin. It wasn't written in Hebrew because it wasn't written for the benefit of Jewish people. It was written for the benefit of Gentiles. Uh, by the time of the Roman Empire, almost everyone in that vast empire spoke uh, Greek and Latin. Latin was the language of Rome. Greek was the international language of business, uh, commerce, education, and so forth. And... Uh, Here's what the signs said. No foreigner may enter within the barricade that surrounds the temple and its enclosure. Anyone caught doing so will have himself to blame for his ensuing death. They took their temple seriously. It wasn't like they're just going to chase you out. You died. They considered that an affront to their God um, and, and so forth. And so Paul would have been in inside the temple proper, not in the court of the Gentiles. And uh, the Bible says that, that they, uh, they, they, they accuse him. He's brought Greeks also into the temple and hath polluted this holy place. And here's why they made that statement. For they had seen before with him in the city, Trophimus and Ephesian, convert from Ephesus, one of Paul's companions, whom they supposed that Paul had brought into the temple. Now, here's the thing. They had seen Paul evidently elsewhere in the city, and they didn't, they didn't cause any hubbub about that. And they'd seen this guy, Trophimus. Uh, he was an Ephesian. His, his garb, his garments would have probably let everybody know where he was from, that he was a foreigner, and uh, so forth. And the Bible just says they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Now they saw Paul, they, they didn't see Trophimus because Trophimus wasn't there. Paul was there with four other Jewish men that had this, we, we presume, a Nazarite vow on them. So they, they are, they're lying to the people. They, they, they know Paul was not preaching an anti-Semitic doctrine. They know that he wasn't uh, uh, preaching against the Bible. He was using their scriptures to show them that Jesus was the promised Messiah. Uh, we learned that earlier in the book of Acts. That was his custom. Everywhere he went, he was using their scriptures. He wasn't telling them, ignore your scriptures. They're no good, that type of thing. They knew what his message was. They just didn't like his message. So they attacked it by lying about what Paul supposedly believed. Then they add to it the other lie that he brought Greeks into the, the, the holy place uh, and so forth. Now notice the confused people, verse 30. And all the city was moved and the people ran together and they took Paul 
and drew him out of the temple and forthwith the doors were shut. Notice it didn't just say all of the temple grounds were moved. What does it say? All of the city was moved. The temple was on the highest ground in the city of Jerusalem. Um, and it's an, it's an area that was very revered by Jewish people. And you've got possibly several thousand people and they are in an uproar. How many have ever been at a, uh, a sports event? And there are, you know, thousands of fans in the stand and they're all screaming at the same time when their team makes a touchdown or, or wins the game. How many have heard that kind of noise? That was what was emanating from Temple Mount. So everybody in the city of Jerusalem hears that going on up there. They know something's going on and they're all rushing up there to find out what the situation's all about. We as human beings are attracted to catastrophes and things like that, aren't we? Uh, Saturday, I was coming, I had a visit in, in New Haven, and I was coming north on 91. Uh, it was about uh, four o'clock in the afternoon, something like that, when I was finishing up. And uh, I, I saw a fire truck coming down the southbound lane of 91, right around the Monowice exit, where uh, all the restaurants and, and uh, uh, the, the, you know, all the stores and stuff are over there. And uh, I saw it getting off at that exit, and I'm thinking there must be a fire in one of those, those buildings or something. So I'm, I'm kind of looking as I'm driving, and I don't see any smoke or anything like that. And uh, just a minute or so later, I heard that same siren coming behind me. He had just gotten off, and he was now going northbound, and I glanced ahead, and I saw this plume of black smoke just billowing up into the air. And uh, traffic was, was coming to a near standstill, was moving very slow, and fire trucks were trying to get around and so forth. And uh, like most people, I was trying to move over into the far uh, left lane uh, and so forth because it became apparent a car was on fire. And uh, by the time I got there, it was some small car. The windows had exploded out of it. Uh, the, the flames were just uh, probably 20 feet up in the air and the black smoke everywhere. The firemen had just arrived. They didn't even have all their hoses connected. The, the car was on the shoulder in the far right lane. I'm driving in the far left lane with my windows up. And when I went by, it was scorching hot. And all, all, I, I just prayed for those firemen that were right there, uh, that type of thing. But uh, with all of that, uh, in, instead of getting by it, my, my thought was, what if the gas tank explodes? I don't want to be here. But everybody has to slow down because we all have to look. There were people stopped their cars and get out with their phones and they're doing this. It's like, what's the news? It'll be on there tonight. What are you doing? We are drawn to things like that. Am, am I right? Uh, these people, there's something going on at Temple Mount. Um, so curiosity has probably got them coming there. All the city was moved. Uh, the people ran together. They took Paul. The idea of taking Paul was not, we're making a citizen's arrest. You need to come with us, sir. Uh, notice what it says at the end of verse um, 32, the last few words. They left beating of Paul. Can you imagine how terrifying that would have been for him? Thousands of people screaming the top of their lungs in rage, 
and flailing on him, everybody trying to get a piece of him, beating at him. It is, it's, it's amazing he wasn't torn to pieces right at, right at that moment. Um, the mob was confused. Um, they didn't even know what was wrong. Initially, they heard what these, these, these Jews from Asia said, but that was just hearsay. They, they didn't know if it was true or not. Uh, none of them knew if it was true that he had brought a Greek there because that Greek wasn't presented as evidence, that type of thing. But they're, they're beyond needing facts. Usually when a mob mentality takes over, facts are secondary things. Notice what the Bible says, uh, verse 34. And some cried one thing, some another among the multitude. And when he could not know the certainty for the tumult, he commanded him to be carried into the castle. We'll explain the context of that in a moment. The, the people that were up there beating on him, the, the, all these people coming together in this big riot that's going on, none of them had a clue. They're just automatically, you know, something's wrong or this, these guys made an accusation about this guy and they're all joining in. They were, they were confused about the charges they were also confused about the carriage of justice. Keep your place here for a moment. Let's go all the way back to the book of Exodus. The book of Exodus. Moses is up on Mount Sinai. and There he is receiving the law from the hand of God. Verse Exodus chapter 23, if you're there, and verse number one. Thou shalt not raise a false report. Put not thine hand with the wicked to be an unrighteous witness. So don't you be the one that makes a false accusation and don't join with someone who is making a false accusation to, to back them up. Verse two, thou shalt not follow a multitude to do evil, neither shalt thou speak in a, clause, in a cause to decline after many to rest judgment. That word rest, W-R-E-S-T, means to pervert judgment. So God's, God's given out there, uh, just because the crowd is going one direction, don't follow them to do wrong. Um, and don't lend your voice in such a way that it's going to pervert justice or judgment. Uh, so God's word was clear to them. Turn, if you would, to Deuteronomy chapter 17. Deuteronomy, the word means second law or second giving of the law. Moses gives this 40 years after the book of Exodus to a new generation. And in chapter 17, notice what uh, the teaching here is. Um, and let's go to verse number two. If there be found among you within any of thy gates, which the Lord thy God giveth thee, man or woman, that hath wrought wickedness in the sight of the Lord thy God in transgressing his covenant, and hath gone and served other gods and worshiped them, either the sun or moon or any of the host of heaven, which I have not commanded. And it be told thee, and thou hast heard of it. And what are the next two words, church? Inquired diligently. And behold, if it be true and the thing certain that such abomination is wrought in Israel, then shalt thou bring forth that man or that woman which have committed that wicked thing unto thy gates, even that man or that woman, and shalt stone them with stones till they die at the mouth of two witnesses or three witnesses 
Shall he that is worthy of death be put to death, but at the mouth of one witness, he shall not be put to death. The hands of the witnesses shall be first upon him to put him to death, and afterwards the, hand of all the hands of all the people, so thou shalt put away the evil from among you. So if there was a report that somebody has been worshiping a false god, uh, notice they weren't just supposed to take the report and the accusation and then go out and execute judgment. They were to inquire diligently. Make sure that you got your facts right. Chapter 19 of Deuteronomy. And then we'll go back to Acts 21, verse 15. One witness shall not rise up against a man for any iniquity or for any sin and any sin which he sinneth. At the mouth of two witnesses or at the mouth of three witnesses shall the matter be established. If a false witness rise up against any man to testify against him which is wrong, then both the men between whom the controversy is shall stand before the Lord, before the priest and the judges, which shall be in those days. And the judges shall make what? Diligent inquisition. Behold, if the witness be a false witness and hath testified falsely against his brother, then shall ye do unto him as he had thought to have done unto his brother, so shalt thou put the evil away from among you. In other words, God's saying, you put a false accusation against somebody, don't just, don't just everybody act on that. Bring them, bring them to the tabernacle. Bring them before the Lord, before the priests, before the judges. In other words, let's do this legally. Let's do it in a legal manner, if you will, at the court. Um, let's inquire diligently. Um, both, of, both of the people, the one making the accusation and the accused. And uh, the deal here is, if it's a false accusation, the one that made the false accusation was supposed to get the penalty for the one he was accusing. So if it was a matter of that maybe the penalty was to be stoned to death, you made a false accusation, bye. If it was, a, if it was to pay a certain fine or whatever, then you had to pay whatever it was. That was to make people think twice before you falsely accuse somebody. Uh, but in any case, uh, whatever it is, nothing was to be settled by mob justice. Everything was to be done decently in an order. They were supposed to find out the facts. Acts chapter 21, there was none of that. The men of Asia, those Jews of Asia, stirred up the people. They made their accusations. Uh, the people just, just immediately responded, and they start beating Paul. The city's moved. Everybody comes there, and by that time, nobody really knows what's going on, uh, but they're carrying out justice. They're, they're being zealous, but they're totally unscriptural. So they were confused about the charges to begin with. They're also confused about the carriage of justice as laid out in their own Bible. Uh, they're not the only ones confused. Um, notice, please, uh, verse 31. And as they went about to kill him, they're about to kill a guy. Many of them don't even know who he is or why they're going to do it. They went about to kill him. Tidings came unto the chief captain of the band that all Jerusalem was in an uproar. Now, if this was the, if this was the temple grounds, our auditorium here, and, and there was the, the north entrance, which was kind of the main entrance of it, just off to this corner of the temple complex was a fortress that was built called the Tower of Antonia. 
And it actually was connected, not necessarily by doors and so forth, but the walls were built together on this corner, this tower that rose up on top of the hill. Um, on the turrets above on this tower, the Roman soldiers could look out over the city. If there was an issue anywhere, they knew exactly where to send their, their troops because they had a bird's eye view of everything down here. That was the Tower of Antonia. Um, so the, the, the temples in an uproar, all of these people uh, and so forth, uh, the chief captain uh, of the band, that's not like a rock group or something like that, okay? Uh, it's a band of soldiers who immediately took soldiers and, next word, centurions. A centurion is a man who leads how many soldiers? 100, a century of soldiers. That's where we get the word century that we use for 100 years. So it's plural. We don't know if it's two centurions or three, but what we know is there are at least 200 soldiers being immediately dispatched into this temple area to take care of the matter. That means this wasn't a little crowd the size of us in here. If it had been, you know, us and we'd all been beaten up on Tim Reamers, it had been kind of overkill on the, the, the captain's part to send in 200 soldiers to stop us. Um, knowing my fighting skills, you know, two would be enough. You know, uh, it, 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 it wouldn't take a lot. So there are hundreds of soldiers come rushing in. When they saw the chief captain and the soldiers, they left beating of Paul. These Jewish people knew that when the soldiers showed up, you better straighten up real fast. The, the Jews were, uh, they were subservient to Rome. And they knew that Rome had that power. These soldiers were armed. These people were not. And so they stopped beating Paul. Then the chief captain came near and took him. Obviously, they could tell where the epicenter was. Um, and they took him. So here's this guy that's been beaten on, we don't know how long, but it wouldn't take long for several hundred or several thousand people to beat the living daylights out of this guy, am I right? Um, I have to kind of in my mind's eye see that Paul is a bloody mess. It wouldn't surprise me, his clothes are torn. He may have had parts of his hair and beard pulled out. Um, he, his, he, he's, he's probably a mess. The chief captain came near and took him and commanded him to be bound with two chains and demanded who he was and what he had done. Isn't that pretty cool? He rests him, puts him in handcuffs, and then says, who are you? What'd you do? Aren't you supposed to know that first? Uh, more than likely, it's not this guy trying to, to uh, be flagrant with even Roman law. Uh, he is trying to, to, to stop this mob before they go any further. And this guy is obviously the center of all of their wrath. His mind's eye, this guy has done something wrong. Let's deal with it and stop this riot before it goes any further. Um, and so some cried one thing, verse 34, some another among the multitude. When he could not know the certainty for the tumult, he commanded him to be carried into the castle. So Paul is headed out this way. If we consider that we are in the temple complex, the, the fortress of Antonia is over there. He's taking him that way into the castle. Um, and when he was come upon the stairs, so it was that he was born of the soldiers 
for the violence of the people. Um, these people are surging forward. They're not satisfied. The mob mentality has taken over. When that takes over, reason goes out the window. Uh, it, it's like a lot of the riots that we've seen in our country in the last several years. Uh, you know, people are out there throwing stones, burning buildings and all that, and they don't even know why. Uh, I, I heard a report this week in India, there was a pro-Hamas, pro-Palestine uh, Palestinian uh, protest. They don't call them riots. They call them protests. Um, and of course, they're out there, you know, chanting about end the apartheid and, and all this kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, they're all pro-Palestinian. And uh, so, you know, they're showing their solidarity, waving flags. But they were waving the flag of Italy because <laughs> it had the same colors. It's like, duh. They have no idea what they're talking about. None whatsoever. Um, this violence is going on. The soldiers, Paul's, Paul's now in chains. By the way, remember in Acts 20, Paul said in every city, the Holy Spirit told him, bonds and afflictions abide me. He knew it was gonna happen in Jerusalem. He just did not know how. Do you realize it's, it's being fulfilled? It's happening here. The soldiers take this guy, this prisoner, they know nothing about him, and they're now carrying him just to keep him away from the violence of the crowd. For the multitude of people followed after crying away with him. Um, there was another mob that cried the same words. Keep your place here, John chapter 19. John chapter 19. Look, if you would, please, verse 13. When Pilate, therefore, heard that saying, he brought Jesus forth and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, but in the Hebrew, Gabbatha. And it was the preparation of the Passover and about the sixth hour. He saith unto the Jews, behold your king. But they cried out, say it with me, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. Then delivered he him therefore unto them to be crucified and they took Jesus and led him away. Do you realize the mob in Acts 21 is crying out the same words, away with him. That's what they're, they're pointing to. We want him put to death. They don't even know why. They don't even know for sure what he's done wrong. And neither does this chief uh, of the captains. Verse number 37. Verse 37. Um, as Paul was to be led into the castle, he said unto the chief captain, may I speak unto thee? Who said, canst thou speak Greek? Are not thou that Egyptian, which before these days madest an uproar and ledest out into the wilderness for thousand men that were murderers. Not only was the mob confused about what was going on, so was this captain of the guard. Um, 
he's, he's automatically assuming that if, if this mob is, is so desperate to have uh, uh, Paul put to death, that he must be a violent criminal. And apparently there was a well-known criminal in that day. Um, he was an Egyptian man who had led 4,000 people uh, and notice he calls them murderers. Does anybody here like to do word studies? Anybody? <laughs> I do. Um, when, when I'm reading the Bible, when I come across names, I like to look it up uh, because Bible names often have very poignant meanings uh, behind them. And it helps me to understand what the Lord is saying or what people are meaning by that particular name. Uh, as, as I'm looking through here and studying it, this, this idea of murders, uh, the word for murderers is a very unique word. It is the word sakari. Sakari. Does anybody know what the word sakari is? It means run. It means assassins. The sakari were very, very common, especially in Israel in those days. They were trained assassins who hated Rome and hated any Jewish people that were loyal to the Romans. So this Roman captain thinks that Paul is an Egyptian who is the leader of the Sicarii. You understand the Romans, uh, they wouldn't have had any love at all for the Sicarii. Um, we sometimes know this group as the Zealots. And they are the ones that actually brought about the final destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D., uh, in, the, in their, their, their tirades against uh, the rule of Rome. So the, the captain, he's thinking that, that uh, uh, Paul is that Egyptian guy, the leader of the Sicarii. Uh, the Jews weren't real happy with them because the, the average Jewish person just wanted to live his life get along, you know, raise his family and, and so forth and not make any waves. They didn't like the Romans, but they knew that they were powerless against them. They didn't want to make waves. Uh, they just wanted to just keep their head down and just try to make it, make it out of this thing alive. The Sicarii put them all in danger. If, if the Sicarii attacked and, and slit the throat of a Roman guard or soldier, the Romans would take reprisals against, uh, sometimes if it happened on a particular street, they would take reprisals by bringing one person out of every house in the street, executing them to just send the message out. We don't know who the assassin is, uh, but uh, we just want you to know if it was one of you, this is what we're going to do. And I mean, it was a terrible thing. The Jews didn't like the Sicarii's either. Uh, so this guy is thinking that that's all about. <laughs> Paul's the farthest thing from an assassin you're ever going to want to find. Okay. He, he is not an anti-Semite. They all have it wrong. Uh, so with all of this violence and confusion going on, I want you to notice this third point of my outline, the controlled preacher. He's falsely accused. How many have ever been falsely accused? Anybody? Is it a pleasant moment? Man, it, it frustrates us. And, 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 and sometimes you don't even know how to, to, to combat it. And, and you're, you're worried about, do they hear? Did, who knows? And, 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 and it's, he's falsely accused and he's been given no trial. They've almost beaten him to death. He's now arrested and nobody's, nobody's thought to hear his side of the story. Um, 
He's been denied any legal inquiry and trial. The very people accusing him of denying the scriptures are denying the scriptures. Uh, he's manhandled by a mob. He is beaten to the point of death. He's unjustly arrest, uh, arrested. And by the way, he's left alone. We don't know what happened to those other four men. Um, and it, it doesn't appear that James or any of the other members of the church of Jerusalem are showing up to help him. And it might not be because they, they didn't want to or they wouldn't. It might just be they couldn't even get through this massive sea of people that were, that were uh, screaming and, and, and rioting and so forth. Paul is at this place where uh, he's been mistreated. Everything, Paul's the only one that's done right here. His accusers have done wrong. The Roman captain has done as best he could, but he's got the wrong idea. He's falsely accused him. But I want you to understand, Paul does not use his wrong, wrongful treatment as his excuse to lash out. You don't have to turn to it for sake of time. Proverbs 25 verse 28 says, he that hath no rule over his own spirit you and I are supposed to control our attitude. We're supposed to control our temper, control our spirit. The Bible says he that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. We're defenseless. We, we've just taken away everything. We've, we've opened ourselves up to destruction. Paul could have easily lashed out. He could have thrown a temper tantrum. He could have stomped his feet and, you know, brought down the wrath of God and all that kind of stuff. He could have done so, but I want you to understand, he didn't do that at all. Again, verse 37, as Paul was to be led into the castle, he said unto the chief captain, notice this, may I speak unto thee? In all of that chaos, here's this reasonable question, and it's polite it's respectful. May I speak unto thee? It wasn't, hey, you need to listen to me. Stop what you're doing right now. You are making the biggest mistake. I bless God, you're gonna burn in hell for thee. He didn't do that. May I speak unto thee? He didn't let the mistreatment of other people cause him to act like they did. Um, uh, uh, by the way, he, it, the Bible says he uh, spoke in Greek because the captain was astounded who said, canst thou speak Greek? He's thinking he's an Egyptian. He would have expected to hear the Egyptian tongue, possibly the Jewish tongue, but rather it was the Greek language. The Greek language was the language of culture. Okay, in that day and age, there were, Greek was an international language because of Rome's influence, Latin was, and then you had every region had their own dialect and language and so forth. Uh, and all of a sudden, here's Paul speaking in the cultured tongue of the Greeks. Now, Paul had to know these were Roman soldiers. He could have spoken in Latin, but he's speaking in a cultured tongue. He's being very respectful. May I speak unto thee. Proverbs 15.1 makes a wonderful statement. A soft answer, finish it, turneth away wrath. Paul wasn't going to diffuse anything by acting like the mob. So he, 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 he politely and respectfully speaks to this captain. The captain 
then again ask him the question, are you that Egyptian guy? Because uh, that's what he's thinking it is. Verse 39, Paul said, I am a man which am a Jew. So, nope, not the Egyptian. I am a Jew of Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, a citizen of no mean city. Tarsus was one of a handful of cities in the Roman Empire that although conquered by Rome, had been granted special favor and status by the Roman Empire. It was, for a lack of a better term, a royal city. It enjoyed privileges that weren't found in other cities. In the city of Tarsus, one of the privileges was the people of that city were granted Roman citizenship. That was a big deal. Roman citizenship. Citizenship used to be a big deal in the United States of America. You couldn't vote if you weren't a citizen. Am I correct? Couldn't run for office. Couldn't get a driver's license. Uh, couldn't do a lot of things. And that is sort of getting all blurred and so forth. To, but, but in Rome's culture, a Roman citizen... Uh, Roman citizens generally paid little to no taxes. The empire was supported by taxing the conquered subjects. Tarsus would have been tax-free, but you couldn't just move to Tarsus because the taxes were low. Um, you had to be born there. Not only that, a Roman citizen was governed by a different set of laws than the rest of the governed people. One of the things is, that if a Roman citizen was found guilty of something that, that demanded the death penalty, they could not be tortured. Um, it had to be quick and as painless as possible. That is why the Apostle Paul was beheaded and not burned alive or thrown into a lion's den. Uh, he was a Roman citizen. Their law forbade that. So... Paul is very calmly talking to this man. I'm not that Egyptian. I'm a Jew of Tarsus, a city of Cilicia. When he says a citizen of no mean city, meaning uh, uh, it, it's, it's, uh, it, it's no little backwater place. And this, this centurion or, or chief of the captains would, would have understood exactly what that meant. Uh, and he would have had to take a step back because now he has to deal with Paul carefully because he's got a Roman citizen in front of him. This happened once before in the book of Acts. Does anybody remember where? Let's go back to Acts 16. Acts chapter 16. Paul is in Philippi. He's been beaten. He and Silas. They've been thrown into the prison there, held fast in stocks and so forth. And uh, that night the earthquake came and uh, their, their chains fell off, the doors popped open, the jailer came in, said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And he and his whole house got saved and baptized. Uh, verse 35, when it was day, the magistrate sent the sergeant saying, let those men go. And they've already beat them, there's been no trial. Uh, they, they beat him, threw him in prison. The keeper of the prison told this saying to Paul, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Now they're depart and go in peace. Man, it's all over, they're gonna let you go, you're good. But Paul said unto him, they have beaten us openly, uncondemned, 
being Romans and have cast us into prison and now do they thrust us out privily? Nay, verily, but let them come themselves and fetch us out. You gotta love the guy. Uh, no, they, they did it. We're Romans. Uh, what they just did was against Roman law. Um, why don't you have them just come on down here and see us and they, they can escort us out of the prison. Sergeant told these words unto the magistrates and they feared when they heard that they were Romans. So this matter of Roman citizenship was a big deal. This, this captain of the, the chief captain of the band has, has found this out about Paul. And uh, notice now Paul's request, and I beseech thee, suffer me to speak unto the people. Paul didn't say, let me go. See, you have to now because I'm a Roman. He didn't do that. He said, give me a chance to talk to these people. So now he's got the might of Rome behind him. Um, Paul's not worried so much about his own skin. He wants these people to know the truth. We're going we're gonna to stop here at verse 39 uh, because uh, verse 40 is going to lead us into the next chapter. And um, we want to see one of Paul's great sermons to the people that just moments before have been beating him and screaming. They're going to come to a stunned silence. Can you imagine that? A stunned silence. And here standing on the stairs of the fortress of Antonia, looking down into that court of the Gentiles, Paul is standing there and at his side is the chief captain of the band of soldiers and so forth. They don't know what the conversation was there, but this captain stopped everything and Paul's going to beckon to them and he is going to preach to them and share with them the greatest thing that ever happened in his life. Paul was a remarkable, remarkable man. Do you understand that from this day forward, Paul will never be free? He will never be free. He will be a prisoner of Rome from this day forward. Some of it, it begins is for his own protection, to protect him from the Jewish people. At one point, there were a bunch of Jewish men that said, uh, we have made a covenant before God that we are not gonna eat anything until we kill Paul. Paul lived another 10 years or so. So I'm gonna guess they either starved to death or they rethought their vow to God, something like that. But Paul will never be free of what, what we would consider a free man again. For a while in Rome, he would live in a house but he would be under house arrest the entire time. Much of the time, he'd be in chains. His last few years, he'd be in chains in the worst prison that you can even imagine. But during this time in his life, he will write some of the most powerful books of the Bible. Philippians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, 1 and 2 Timothy, uh, Titus, Philemon, uh, possibly the book of Hebrews. Um, books that we read today, and we read words like rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice, and I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Paul is going to preach to multiple kings and queens. He's going to preach the gospel to Nero, the emperor of the entire world. And it's all going to be in shackles. Paul's going to pen the words, the word of God is not bound. And his story is about to take a turn, but it is far from over. We need to stop there. Father, thank you for the testimony.